0: greetings folks we are coming at you over the airwaves and if you are just tuning in you are listening to dream infringement on kskq and dream infringement is a super squad of three very close friends so close we're like related uh two in fact are definitely related emily and i we are not just uh, co-hosts in, uh, you know, on this radio show, but we are also co-hosts in life. Yeah, that's right. We made it official, and we got married. And it wasn't because of the radio show, although I would love to be able to say that. Um, I feel like KSKQ would have really great bragging rights if they were the ones who kind of like created this amazing union that we have.
1: Oh, I wish that were true, too.
0: I mean, wouldn't that be cool? I feel like we'd go in the Guinness Book of World's rec- World Records, like the very first radio, community radio station to ever push two people into marriage. Uh, it would be amazing.
1: It, we should ask some of the, like, the, um you know, the people who have been at KSKQ longer than us. Oh. Like, if, if KSKQ has ever forged relationships.
0: I mean, it's possible. It's possible, but we'll save that for another theme. And the third of us is Jennifer. She is uh, one of Emily and I's closest friends, probably the closest friend that we have. And uh, we've shared secrets together uh, here at Dream Infringement. We've shared secrets off the air and on the air. We'll let you decide uh, whether, whether or not you have heard secrets on the air
1: so a good friendship is like based on a foundation of secret sharing
0: yes definitely definitely if there's anything that uh we've learned about um you know history and how this country was even forged it was all secrets
1: i mean honestly i think we we don't have any secrets cuz we we did share all of them on the radio
0: I mean, there are some secrets that we've shared between the three of us that we have yet to share on the radio. I'm sure eventually it will make it on the airwaves, but
1: I can't think of we're just not secretive people.
0: I mean, we're open books, but there's the like those those last two book uh, pages in the book that are like stuck together,
1: oh, or it's not like it's like, oh, is it gonna close? Is it gonna close?
0: Yeah, something like that. Oh, yeah,
1: you just were more mysterious than.
0: Yeah, there's like a note that's in the back of the book like between the the you know the last page and and then that and then the 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 very last page that's like blank for some reason they keep it blank. I don't know if it's to protect the other pages. Maybe it's like it's like the bodyguard of the book of the book's pages. Like it takes one for the home team if it needed to, like if it needed to jump in front of a bullet.
1: Like if someone needed to write something down,
0: Maybe for note-taking, that could be it. Maybe. So anyways, this is Dream Infringement. Three friends telling you stories, playing songs that we have chosen to entertain you, and to take you to another place of understanding. And the theme that we have chosen for this week, as we, as we do every week, we choose a different theme. The theme is...
1: Late Bloomers.
0: That's right, late bloomers. And uh, we interpret different themes in different ways. Um, And the way that we have chosen to interpret late bloomers is that we decided to talk about celebrities, musicians, uh, people who are noteworthy who got their careers started later in life, um, in their later years. And a lot of them are in their 30s, apparently if you're famous and you got started in your 30s you're considered a late bloomer. Uh to me that's when you're like, you know, I guess I guess you could start earlier than 30 um on something but um I guess it may it makes me feel old. That's what I'm saying because I'm in my 30s and I don't want to be considered a late bloomer in anything at the age that I'm at.
1: But what if you reach success? Like does it matter what's where's the why is there shame?
0: Uh I guess I've I view it as a little bit of a negative thing, I guess.
1: Wow, we're discovering some biases.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's really what this radio show is. It's kind of like an experiment in uh psychology. It's a psych- psychological experiment. Move over, Milgram. We got a new experiment that might be slightly unethical and make everybody uncomfortable and possibly even trick some people into thinking they've killed someone. This is dream infringement. And of course KSKQ does not share any of the views of dream infringement. Uh our desires is they
1: might not.
0: They might not but they might.
1: I think we're just they don't like endorse them. Like our our ideas are not
2: this is really devolving.
0: No, 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 no. Keep it in, Emily. So anyways, without further ado, here are our stories. But first, we have a song to introduce those stories. And that song is My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's not it. The song that we chose to kick things off is, oh, no, those Titanic fans out there. Topical, am I right? Okay. The song that we chose is by Alton John, Sir Alton John, and it's called I'm Still Standing, which is what these elderly uh late bloomers who found success later in life might be saying. Because a lot of them are still touring, performing, acting. Um they are pushing the envelope now, and they're still standing. So. Elton John, I'm Still Standing.
2: Don't you know I'm still standing I ever Willie Hugh Nelson was born
0: in
3: 1933. He's currently 90 years old. He's also on tour right now. In fact, he'll be in Redmond, Oregon on the 21st. I didn't really know much about his life before this show where I looked it up, and I was surprised because in my mind he seems quite laid back, but he's incredibly ambitious and motivated and I think he always has been. He was born in Texas and grew up singing gospel music in the Baptist church with his sister. They were raised by their grandparents who encouraged them to play music and they enrolled Willie in mail order lessons at age six. I don't know how you have mail order uh, music lessons, but it worked. Uh, He wrote his first song when he was seven, and he began playing in a local band at the age of nine. He did not like picking cotton, so to help earn money, he began to play at dance halls and honky-tonks with local German and Czech polka bands from age 13 through high school. And he was quite successful. The local girls founded the Willie Nelson Fan Club. So he's doing all of this, but he's also staying in high school because he wanted to compete in sports. So he had this raging nightlife <laughs> as, as a young teen, and then he was a football halfback, a basketball guard, and a baseball shortstop. To make extra money, he booked other acts at venues close to his home including some of his musical idols. He would say, early in my life I was a young promoter. I was putting together shows. Bob Wills I hired for $750 to play over in Whitney, Texas. I hauled a piano on the back of a pickup so that his band could have a piano. I managed to take in enough money and pay him. But I was only like 14, 15 years old, and I got up to sing with Bob Wills, so it was as good as it gets. He's just making deals, setting up venues, and he's like 14. So he moved to Nashville in 1960 after his composition The Family Bible became a hit for Claude Gray and he started to work as a staff writer for Pamper Music and quickly established himself as one of the most talented songwriters in the business with hits such as Crazy by Patsy Cline, Funny How Time Slips Away and Hello Walls. His unique singing style however with his behind the beat phrasing and unadorned vocals was less appreciated and he began to find himself tiring of rejection and just wanted to be in a place where he could be himself so he moved back home to Texas in 1972 and he let his hair down he let his hair grow and he wrote and sang the way he wanted to and signed up with Columbia Records his debut the redheaded stranger came out and it was a huge hit so here he was 42 years old he'd been working with music ever since he was six and he had finally made it on his own terms his brand of country was called outlaw and it became a sensation and he just kept racking up the hits cmt placed him at number four among the greatest men of country and rolling stone has placed him at 88 in the list of the 100 greatest singers of all time. I bet whoever rejected him was like, huh, mistakes were made. The reason that I thought of Willie Nelson for this theme was because the other day I was walking in a store and I heard the craziest cover of Coldplay's The Scientist by Willie Nelson. And I realized that this is kind of a blasphemy that instead of playing a song that he wrote himself, I am playing a cover. I understand that I am perhaps being unjust to Willie Nelson, but you have to hear this cover. It's, it's such an odd pairing of song and singer that I felt like everyone else should have to hear it. Apparently, because I did. So here's Willie Nelson with his cover of "The Scientist" by Coldplay.
2: Nobody said it was easy. Said it would be this part. I'll oh,
0: take me back to the star. Hi there, Bobby here. The person that I chose to cover when it comes to being a late bloomer in their career is none other than our favorite office manager, the actor who played Michael Scott. That's right, Steve Carell. Would you guess that when he started the first season of The Office, he was 42 years old? Amazing, right? Well, his career didn't start with The Office. He would actually, uh, over the previous decade, Uh, And the decade before that, during the 90s, had been on the Dana Carvey show and even had a few appearances. Actually, I think a regular appearance on the Daily Show. Remember when Jon Stewart was the host? Yeah, Steve Carell goes way back. And as much star power as he has right now with The Office and so many wonderful roles in movies uh, on the silver screen... He was never really a leading man until The Office. He was always kind of a supporting character. Uh, And it wasn't until his movie that exploded onto the silver screen, the movie 40-Year-Old Virgin. And I think it's because of his age that he was so relatable as a character on The Office. And the reason for that is because... If he was someone who was maybe in their 20s, it would have been hard to believe that he had so much neuroses going on. Because as a person who's in my mid-30s, and I am steadily climbing into the, the four zeros, I believe that there is a certain amount of neuroses that kind of settles in as you leave your 20s and enter your 30s. I feel like there's a lot of elements uh, working inside you that motivate you to feel like you have to prove yourself, like you have to accomplish this unconscious list uh, in order to feel that you have succeeded. And I imagine for someone like Michael Scott, that's something that didn't go away when he entered his 40s. And I find it very endearing that no matter how hard or how much of a struggle it seemed to be for him uh, to accomplish those goals, to get married, to have children, to, to fall in love, um, to be a good boss, to connect with his co- co-workers, his, uh, the people who... Who you know? Who he cared about the most in the office? Uh, he felt compelled to do that. That that was something that he valued, and and that's that kind of um, ordinary aspirations. That kind of thing. It, it, it's realistic. I think we can all relate to those very realistic goals that Michael Scott had. And Steve Carell just did a, a fantastic job portraying that. And I believe that he took a page out of his own personal life. Uh, he didn't get started until he was 42 years old, which means that he probably uh, was approached for for pilots, try, went to a lot of auditions, um, had some wins and some loses, uh, but nothing that would have compared to Uh, the movie that led up to The Office, 40-Year-Old Virgin, uh, or The Office itself, which ran for so many seasons and made him uh, an explosive celebrity that we all know and love. He's like, I don't know, the uncle, the grandpa, the the person that we, we just find so cringy but love so... Much. So here's to you, Michael Scott, played by Steve Carell. Oh, and uh, the song that I chose is by Billie Eilish, uh, a really huge Office fan. In fact, she was so into The Office that she didn't ask for permission to sample several uh, audio pieces from The Office, which you will hear in the song that I'm about to play. Um, it's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission or easier, not better, but that's what she did. And of course the fine folks at the office said, uh, yes, please. Billy Eilish is like the biggest thing since sliced bread. So of course we can only, uh, get higher and higher as a, uh, as a, a beloved show um, by being in a famous pop song, pop star's song. So here is My Strange Addiction by Billie Eilish, featuring some of the cast of The Office.
2: To be talking to you, Peloton, I should have taken a break. Now that looks for you, i and take what I want when I want it. And I want you. Yeah. Bad, bad news, one of us is done alone.
1: just add some for debbie harry front woman of the fabulous band blondie was a late bloomer um she was born on july 1st 1945 in miami florida as angela trimble and when she was three months old she was adopted by richard and Catherine harry in new jersey and of course they changed her name to how we know her now as deborah ann harry or debbie harry at the age of four she learned that she was an adopted child and in the 1980s she was able to locate her biological mother um, and her biological mother was actually a pianist but um, she did not want to be in touch with harry her biological father was a singer and he It's suspected that he's the one who wanted to give her up for adoption since at the time um, of Debbie's birth, um, he was married. What a way to enter the world. Um, In high school, Debbie became part of a school choir and she was also part of the cheerleading team. In the late 1960s, she graduated from high school and moved to New York City. Um, She worked as a secretary at the BBC, as a waitress, a go-go dancer, and even as a playboy bunny, all the while being in bands and having music being a major part of her life. Her first band was the folk band The Wind and the Willows, which released an album in 1968. And then she later moved on to a girls band called The Stilettos. And then after a little while of being an all girls band, they added uh, a male guitarist, Chris Stein, who then became her boyfriend. The Stilettos as a band eventually broke up um but debbie and chris stayed together and they formed the band angel and the snake which later turned into the band we know blondie so somewhere in between this time um a really terrifying event happened for debbie harry she has claimed that she was abducted by ted bundy So here's how Debbie Harry explains the situation. She says, I was trying to get a cab on the Lower East Side of the village in New York, and it was kind of late. This was back in the early 1970s. I wasn't even in a band then. I was trying to get across town to an after-hours club. A little white car pulls up, and the guy offers me a ride. So I just continued to try to flag a cab down. But he was very persistent, and he asked where I was going. It was only a couple of blocks away, and he said, "'Well, I'll give you a ride.'" Ugh. It's a red flag, people. She continues, "'I got in the car, and it was summertime, "'and the windows were all rolled up, "'except about an inch and a half at the top. "'So I was sitting there, and he wasn't really talking to me. "'Automatically, I sort of reached to roll down the window "'and realized there was no door handle, "'no window crank, no nothing.'" The inside of the car was totally stripped out. So regardless of who this man was, whether it was actually Ted Bundy or someone else, I mean, clearly this is like a terrifying experience. So it was years after this incident that Debbie Harry was convinced that it was Ted Bundy. Um, Her story goes on. She says, I got very nervous. I reached my arm Out through the little crack and stretched down and opened the car from the outside. As soon as he saw that, he tried to turn the corner really fast, and I spun out of the car and landed in the middle of the street. She says it was right after. Bundy's execution that I read about him. I hadn't thought about that incident in years. The whole description of how he operated and what he looked like and the kind of car he drove and the time frame he was doing that in, that area of the country fit exactly. I said, My God, it was him. So that's Debbie Harry's uh experience, but a lot of people feel like her account doesn't match up with other reports of Bundy's whereabouts. Um Bundy apparently was not known to have been in New York City in the early 70s, nor was he said to have started abducting women until 1974. Um And uh, Harry said that this didn't happen during a time when she was in a band, and so that would mean that her story took place um, in 1973 or a little bit. Well, it had to have taken place in around 1973 because after that, she joined the stilettos. So I don't know. Um, also, Bundy is not known to have driven a stripped out vehicle without door handles. He was said to drive a normal seeming Volkswagen Beetle. But regardless, Harry still believes that the man who gave her lift was Bundy um, She said, I've been debunked, actually, by those people that debunk you or whatever. They say he wasn't in New York at that time, but I think they're really wrong because he had escaped and was traveling down the East Coast. I think that nobody has ever really investigated that. I didn't know until later who it was. It was pretty scary. So, I mean, she was, she knows she was the one who was there. And whether or not it was Ted Bundy, what a... Horrible experience. Poor Debbie Harry. But she didn't let that stop her. Uh, She became a star. Blondie the band, which you guessed it was named after the color of her hair. Uh, Turns out Debbie Harry is actually redhead. Um, But she was dyeing her hair or bleaching her hair to like that shocking platinum blonde, almost white. In 1976, Blondie released their first album, which was simply called Blondie. Um, she was a, she was a great performer, she was a songwriter. Uh six of that album's songs were written in collaboration with her. Um, and so it they were moderately successful and they just continued to perform in clubs around New York and in the surrounding area. Um, and she became an iconic figure in the punk scene. Um, Then they had a second album called Plastic Letters, and that became a hit outside the U.S. But then finally, uh, when their third album, Parallel Lines, was released, they had already broken out with hits like Heart of Glass, and it was just, it was a hit. And they were skyrocketed into stardom. Um, and that was in 1978. So Debbie Harry was, oh, the ripe old age of 33. It is kind of um, shocking once you start passing up the ages that people, like, are considered to be late bloomers at. Like, uh, like, oh, really? That's late? <laughs> it doesn't seem that late to me. They still seem quite young. Uh, but maybe that's, you know, a a mirror into society like we live for a pretty long time on this earth most of us and 33 really isn't that that's not that old that's still young to be figuring out how to you know what you're doing and to achieve success whatever that means to you it doesn't have to be being a famous person um success is different for each of us and i believe that success can be achieved at any age, whether you are twenty or thirty or forty or fifty or sixty or seventy or eighty. I mean, who's to who's to judge? And we all deserve to um, enjoy and have our own personal successes at any age in life. All right. Well, that is that's that's all I got on Debbie Harry. Let's listen to Heart of Glass.
2: By Blondie.
1: We're going to take a moment away from our theme this week to, oh, pay homage to the late Carson Bench. He was a pillar of community radio and KSKQ, and we realized that we're coming up on the one-year mark of his passing. So Jennifer reached out to friend and fellow programmer Ellen Huft to give us a little update and say a few words on Carson's behalf. So let's hand over the figurative mic to Ellen.
2: Hey there, Dream Infringement fans. This is Ellen Huft, and you can hear me every other Friday from 3 to 5 on Latitude 42, right here on KSKQ. The show is particularly special to me because it was originally created by the late, great Carson Bench. Carson used Latitude 42 as a platform for so many people. He regularly had guests of every flavor, had a variety of co-hosts over the years, and loved sharing information and fun facts. He took our non-commercial educational license very seriously. He adored community radio and actively sought to build and foster it in every place that he lived. A couple years ago, Carson made the decision that he should be taking more time for himself and started alternating every other week with Sister Tracy. I guarantee that it was also to build up Tracy, which she completely deserves. Then, July 7th, 2022, in the early hours of the morning, the unthinkable happened. Carson was gone, peacefully in his sleep, at age 56. Carson and I met in 2011, when I was 19, and he brought me into the fold of KSKQ. He quickly became like a father to me. He even officiated my wedding. Losing him was like losing my dad all over again. At Carson's celebration of life, people gathered from all over at Immigrant Lake, just south of Ashland, which was one of Carson's favorite places to go be in nature and fish. It was a hot, muggy, stagnant day, and the air was full of smoke. As we started to arrive, the feeling was somber. When we began, Carson made their presence known pretty fast by suddenly bringing on huge gusts of wind to repeatedly knock over the wreath of flowers near the microphone. But it also brought us all so much relief. It helped us laugh and relax. It cleared the smoke and cooled us down. The day proceeded to be exactly as I imagined Carson would have wanted it, full of laughter and stories. At some point, someone said, "'What about a bench bench?' to which we all gleefully agreed was the only logical memorial. I did my best to gather as many people's contact information as I could, and within a few days, set to work trying to keep us all connected. There is now a website, email, Skype, and a Facebook group, which can be found under For the Love of Carson Bench. Then a GoFundMe was created to fund the Bench Bench. Our original plan was that we would be able to place multiple benches and be able to build them ourselves. But bureaucracy had other ideas. As of now, we have one bench paid for that will be placed at Immigrant Lake and has an estimated arrival date of October, 2023. So if you need to get away, take a little time for yourself. We hope you'll go enjoy a sit and take in the nature just as Carson would have. Big thanks to all those who loved Carson Bench and helped make the Bench Bench possible. I wanted to give special thanks to Tracy for allowing me to help continue Carson's legacy on Latitude 42. And, of course, to Bobby, Emily, and Jennifer of Dream Infringement for giving me space to share this with you and for honoring Carson.
1: Ellen, thank you so much for that wonderful update on the bench bench and um, just talking about how much Carson meant to you. That was so touching. Okay, I think we have time for one more story of a late bloomer, and perhaps we'll have a part two next week because we have more stories um, and more songs. I mean, no matter what happens. There's going to be a show next week. I don't know what the theme's going to be yet, but uh, it's going to be a good one. Okay, I'm going to stop talking and let Jennifer talk now.
3: Susan Boyle from Britain's Got Talent." I remember this when the video of her on television started making the rounds. So Susan grew up in a small Scottish industrial town as the youngest of nine children. She was born when her mother was 45 years old and because of complications during birth she was briefly deprived of oxygen and she was told that she had mild brain damage. In school she was diagnosed with learning disabilities and she was teased and bullied. However, in 2013 she revealed that it wasn't brain damage, it was in fact autism. So Susan was drawn to music and singing as a young child. At age 12, she began participating in musical productions at school. Her teachers recognized her talent. They encouraged her. In 1995, she unsuccessfully auditioned for the British TV talent show, My Kind of People. She went on to spend her savings to record a demo tape, which she mailed out like to every possible place where you could mail a demo tape out to. She won many local talent competitions and was urged by her mother to enter Britain's Got Talent, but thinking she was too old, she abandoned the idea. However, when her mother passed away in 2007, for a while she withdrew from singing for almost two years, and then she applied to audition for Britain's Got Talent to honor the memory of her mother, who had been a fan of the show. And so in April of 2009, she appeared uh, singing her rendition of the song I Dreamed a Dream from the musical Les Miserables. So Susan was 47 at the time of her audition, and they say it was notable due to the contrast between her introduction and her performance. The first shot of her on the show was of her eating a sandwich backstage, and as she auditioned, she struggled to remember where she was from. She also responded to a mocking wolf whistle by shaking her hips and remarking, "'That's just one side of me.'" But when she began to sing, she shocked all the judges. One of them said, "'That was the biggest surprise I have had on the three years of this show.'" To many, she represented the notion that dreams can come true at any age. This was cemented with the release of her first album in November of 2009. I Dreamed a Dream broke all sales records, selling over 2 million copies worldwide in its first week of release, and it remains the fastest selling debut album by a female artist ever recorded. Another release of hers led to a new world record by becoming the oldest woman to reach number one on the UK Albums Chart. She still lives in the same council house in Blackburn that she grew up in, although she bought the house for herself with her earnings in 2010 so let's hear her sing the song that started it all I dreamed a dream
1: Well, that about does it for Dream Infringement tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in, Um, our beautiful listeners. Thank you you to Ellen. um, Thank you to Carson for leaving such a beautiful impact on all of us. We can't wait to sit on his bench um, this fall. And um, we'll be back next week with more stories and more songs and possibly a part two of this theme. We're going to play you out with a, with Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. She's wonderful. I, I was going to talk about her, but we simply ran out of time. So hopefully next week that'll happen. But um, she was a late bloomer too. And so we're going to play her song and band song. Um, I learned the hard way. Have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful week.